The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Put your pencils down, because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Oh, gather round, cowboy pilgrims, for another edition of the Star Seminar. But it's not just any other edition. It's a special playoff edition where we are going to look at our beloved Dallas Cowboys as they embark upon the greatest month of the NFL season, the tournament slash playoff run to the sixth Lombardi. Here to break it all down with me is the great Cowboysologist of international renown, Dr. Danny Phantom. I am his humble servant, Dr. Rabble Rouser. Oh, great doctor. Oh, great purveyor of wisdom. How are you today, my friend? Well, uh, I am under the weather, is how I am. Um, I'm actually been in the middle of a, of a tough cold. In fact, uh, as you know, we were we almost had to work in some type of contingency because last night I was I was hating life. Uh, but you know what? It's playoff time, and you, that's when you got to dig deep, and you got to be able to you know just step it up and 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 and, and the, you know the show goes on so uh but but to just answer your question i am under the weather and the reason i know i am under the weather is because i have heard my wife say that to people on the phone many times over the last two days it's it's her go-to expression and honestly to me i don't even really understand under the weather <laughs> because i mean unless you're like an astronaut you're always going to be under the weather. So I don't even, to me, that doesn't even, even make sense. And one of my bugaboos, Rabs, is people that misuse phrases. I don't know why that, <laughs> that annoys me, but it does. But I also don't like just phrases that are that are wrong in the first place. And, I mean, I don't know what, maybe that's not wrong. Maybe there's some origin that I don't know about. But, like, things like, you know, you can't, you know, have your cake and eat it too. It's like, well, what are you supposed to do with a cake? I mean, no one ever gives someone a cake and then say, like, well, just look at it, blow out the candles, but then we got to get this thing back to the bakery. And I mean, that's that doesn't make any sense. But they could say, like, have your cake, or, you know, and your health, too, because maybe you don't you have to pick between the two. But that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. When, when I'm laying in bed, hopped up on cold medicine, weird things go through my mind. But, Raps, I want to ask you, is there, like, any type of expression or phrase that, that you know, it kind of annoys you? Um, not that it annoys me so much, but I tell you what, the misuse of it annoys me a lot, right? And so the, there's a couple of them that I think are, are – one of them is just misused of late because people – somebody started using it incorrectly and everybody else does as well. And because it has a, a, a sports uh, relevance, uh, I see it a lot. I see it on Twitter. I see it everywhere. And that's the distinction between verse and versus, right? So we are now – embarking upon a conversation about the Cowboys versus the Packers, right? That's two opposing forces going head to head is versus verse is what you write when you're writing poetry or when you're writing a song, but somehow verse has 
replaced versus in our lexicon in our parlance and it drives me crazy so uh the cowboys will not be singing to the packers they will not be strumming a guitar or writing an ode to the packers they will be facing off against the packers versus is the only and correct usage the other one which is frankly one that i get confused about all the time and i often find myself having to google it to remind myself which is the correct usage is the difference between hone in on and home in on oh and it turns it turns out that both of those are actually correct in different different ways. Um, they're both uh, verbs that that narrow uh, describe narrowing in a target, but one of them is actually taken from like pigeons, where they're like homing pigeons, where they right. where they like to home in on means to sort of like get closer to a goal, and hone in on means to sort of narrow the aperture as, uh, of of your focus and to sort of like throw away that kind of unnecessary thing. So you can hone and home. They're not necessarily neither one's incorrect, but they both do mean something different. I I know I'm confused about it, and as and as a staunch grammarian, if I'm confused about it, that means surely almost everybody else is as well. Um, so it, for me, it's it, it. There are all kinds. Like a stitch in a stitch in time saves nine. Nine what? Nine lives? Nine nine cats? Nine bottles of milk? What the hell does it save? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, there's hundreds of those things from our childhood. There's these like old country expressions that that used to make sense because they described sort of daily living that no longer applies in the in the age of like cell phones and gadgets and whatnot um so it's it's less about those because they have no application now they're just kind of quaint and more about the misuse of, of more common phrases for me um but speaking of versus we need to talk about this moment in time yes. that we've been waiting for all season so before we started recording you and i talked about the fact that we went into the season expecting the Cowboys to be roughly where they are right now, mm -hmm. right? We knew we, we knew they'd be in the tournament unless there was something catastrophic. This was a very talented team. It's a deep team that had a good, deep, talented roster, well-coached team for the most part across both, uh, across all three phases. Um, so it, it was, that actually gives a certain meaning or lack thereof to the regular season. So we've been doing State of the Cowboys every week, et cetera. But ultimately, the only reason any of that mattered was, is this team ready to do something different in the playoffs? So now we're going to find out, dude. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for all year. All the other stuff was just prelude. None of it mattered yeah. other than it gave us a little bit of an advantage. So I think if we do any looking back, it's got to be within the context of how is this team shaped itself how has this team used the first 18 weeks to prepare for the playoff run that we knew they were going to have way back in july right so i'd love to just i'd love to talk about that and then we'll get into talking more specifically about the packers we will as always have ravels roundup a little look at the at the uh the rival from green bay and we will conclude things with a punctuation point as we always do um with the phantoms five before we get into that, though, I also do want to just to think a little bit about this is the third year in a row the Cowboys have been in the playoffs. It's been a while since they've been in the playoffs mm -hmm. three years in a row. Mm -hmm. So thinking about playoff streaks and also thinking about playoff drought. So, so you know, so many people are like, oh, the Cowboys haven't, you know, gone to an NFC championship game, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think one of the reasons why, and we've talked about this, is because they haven't given themselves enough opportunities to get into the tournament right. and when you only get into the tournament sporadically you have to either get incredibly lucky you have to have one of those magical years or something like that and we know that once we get into the tournament it's all about evenly matched teams and therefore lady luck works her way into the stadium and takes up sets up a tent right right there at midfield right because usually you know those close games between evenly matched teams are going to be decided by a fumble a referee's call you know a pass that's actually really accurately thrown but bounces off a defensive lineman's pinky into into a linebacker's hands and changes the whole scope of the game and by extension the season people's careers etc right so um so the, the thing you have to do is just get as many lottery tickets to that lottery as you can. Right. Cowboys haven't. So I wanted to kind of talk about, like, the times they haven't. Because in some ways what's been maddening is that they've been a kind of like every other year type of playoff team, you know, for the most part of, of young Cowboy fans' lifetimes, like at least certainly since the 90s run. So what 
And when you think of the greatest droughts, the greatest playoff droughts, when they just weren't in the tournament at all in play in, in Cowboys history, what are the periods that you think about? Well, I mean, the first thing that jumped out at me when you mentioned this is the Switzer to Parcel, the pre-Parcells era, uh, because I know that was a rough time because when you had Switzer basically, you know, uh, with Jimmy's team, once his once Jimmy's team was gone, it was Switzer's team. From, you know, Switzer, um, Gailey, and Campo. That wasn't a guy. I always could refer to them as the dark years. Uh, but I do know that uh, Chan Gailey did take them to the playoffs once, I believe. Um, so I don't know. As, that might have broke up the drought as far as longest droughts. I'm just trying to think back through there. I know that Garrett, when his uh, first three years, he didn't go in, plus the year with with Wade um, there was four years there so that would be in the lead going to the turn of the century um, land, the end of Landry's era I know you're looking at 86 and 87 88 and then the first two of Jimmy there's five so I'm going to have that in the lead and then of course we all should know that Tom Landry took there was a stretch where they went 20 years with a winning record so you might as well just throw that off the table. So the longest drought has to be, and I'm not familiar with the early years, but I think if I remember correctly, that Landry's first seven years in the league, he didn't have a winning record. So I want to say they went seven years early on, and I think that's their longest drought. I think it is their longest drought. It was actually six years. It was, it was 60 six to years? 65. Yeah, and they finally in okay. 66 broke through. They were 10-3-1. and one. Well, we're first in the conference and we're first in the conference for the next one, two, three, four, five, six years <laughs> and seven out of eight. So that they, 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 when they finally arrive, they arrive yeah. and, and they oh, won yeah. the, and one of those, one of those ended up in a Super Bowl win. So you've, you've actually outlined all the big gaps. It's really interesting. Like the Cowboys have for the most part throughout their history have either, as, as you said, in the Landry years made it every single year, or, you know, if they've missed, they've missed a year or two years. There's only really been a couple of, of longer droughts and you've, you've identified all of them. So the one, the other, uh, the other thing that I think that's really interesting is is when they came. So one of them, obviously, beginning with Landry years, but we'll, we'll get rid of that one. So, so, so once they started making the playoffs, the first big drought was the transition, end of one coach, one great coach, into the beginning of the next one. So that was, uh, you know, Landry, I think, you know, he was older. They had raided his coaching staff for decades. Um, all the things that happened to a successful team had happened to the Cowboys. Uh, and they, I think the league caught up to them and passed them by. They were like, I think other coaches had adapted to his systems and, and their systems were more complex. And, you know, like the Joe Gibbses and, and Bill Walsh's of the world, I think were yeah. just better, more sophisticated coaches toward the end of his, toward the end of his uh, NFL career. Um, and then, and then, yeah, then there was a long, a long stretch there until basically the Jimmy Johnson team wrapped up. And as you said, Chan Gailey led them to a playoff victory in his final season or playoff uh, a birth rather in his final season, even though they were only eight and eight, they were in the playoffs in 99. It's so funny because arguably the worst era in recent Cowboys memory is that Dave Campo stretch from 2000 to 2002, but it was really only three years. And then Bill Parcells got him right back in the playoffs. Um, and then didn't for a couple of years, but like that was a bad team. Uh, Maybe may the worst, the worst Cowboys team of all time, you know, since the early, early Landry years, like that team from 2000 to 2005, really, really low on talent. But I think the other thing that's really, it's really interesting here is, and it's the first one that you identified, I think, or maybe the second one was that period between the end of the Wade Phillips era and the beginning of the Jason Garrett era. I think one thing that's common about all of these is they're all, uh, they all mark a transition from a good coach to a not so good coach, right? Or, or or to another coach. So like a good coach is here, the team loses talent, starts to fade. Maybe the next coach isn't as good. Um, so there's all these really interesting transitional periods. One of the things that we've always talked about is how important continuity is and coaching continuity. You know, and part of that is you know you win early and you get to you get to stay. But part of it also is I think you know when you have coaching continuity, you're not always in this transitional phase. Cowboys history hasn't had as much transition as a lot of these other teams, but there's some really, really 
terrible moments in which like the transition from a, from a, a legendary coach to a, to a, a the next coach, um, you know, was a really, really rough transition. So I think this is all a way of saying that, um, one of the things that Mike McCarthy has done, uh, after his first year, uh, for the Cowboys is he's found ways to build a team that can get into the playoffs every year. They got a shot at the ring every year, right? As we said at the beginning of this conversation, you got to get into the tournament and then you hope that Lady Luck favors you, right? And so the more times you get in the tournament, the more opportunities you have. They may not do anything this year, right? They may, they may lose to the Packers, whatever, but at least they're going to have a chance, right? And there were too many years here uh, where they were, you know, where they missed they missed opportunities to get into the playoffs and have a chance at inviting Lady Luck into into the ring. Um, so I, I I don't know necessarily that this game against the Packers is going to be the one where they're going to need luck. Um, so let's talk about that. But before we do, I do want to talk about and get your impressions about where the Cowboys are as we head into the playoffs, you know, as a team. Let's talk about the offense first, then we can talk about the defense. You know, where where are they, and, and how do you feel about them as a team that's embarking upon a playoff run? Let's start with the offense. Tell me, tell me what your feelings are now. We've seen them eighteen weeks, seventeen games, all 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 the prelude to what's important. How are they doing on on the eve of this oh so important month? I feel better about things. Um... It's been over the last few games. I've I've had some apprehension about the offense, and it worries me because I've just seen so much inconsistency with the offense. They, I I can't remember a team that has looked so good and then so bad and then within a season. I mean, it, it's it's puzzling to me. Have you forgotten the 2019 Cowboys, my friend? Well. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I think to, for me, I feel like the with the with the arsenal they have, there really shouldn't have been any reason for them to be as bad as they've been. I mean, the we you know you you, you mentioned. I remember you responded. You, you responded to one of my tweets talking about how I mentioned that McCarthy's offense this year is better than Kellen's was last year. But Kellen's in 2021 was better than all of them. Um, but to, mm-hmm. and of course you said, well, talent has something to do with it. And absolutely, in fact, you could almost make the same argument with, you know, just the receiving group and to compare them. And of course, you would expect the same type of results. Um, absolutely. But I, that's what bothers me a little bit is because I feel like we really should have been better um, because because of the talent they have and. I will say this with the the final game uh, with what we saw there, I was really impressed with with a lot of the short stuff they did because my concern and we've talked about this a lot uh, it's like when the Cowboys uh, primary isn't there, then what? you know then it's going to be then Dak's going to either thread the needle, break contain or we're, we're putting you know so it's just going to be but um, I'm I saw a lot of quick stuff and I really think. When you have C.D. Lamb and Jake Ferguson and Brandon Cooks, those guys alone offer so much. And they were used to perfection uh, last week, even though, again, it's the commanders. But I love what they were doing, not just just the results, but how they were going about it. Using Brandon Cooks more for the short, quick little cuts, and he's got a you know automatic three yards you can count. C.D. Lamb was absolutely everywhere. Of course, why not use him in that manner? And you know Ferguson is is the, the is the safety net that Dalton Schultz once was. So I, I feel better about that. I also feel better that Tyron made it out unscathed, and they're going to go into the playoffs with what we think is probably the the healthiest they've been. Maybe I mean you, you get Tyler back, um, and we saw good things from T.J. Bass too. To where I don't feel so bad if he has to get called in. I mean I feel better about. TJ Bass and I do Chuma Adoga. So I just, I feel better. I, I, I think that um, they have the tools they need. They have them. Mm-hmm. Will they mm-hmm. use them? Will Dak play play well? Uh, will McCarthy call good plays? 
We got to see it, but I feel like they have the tools. So I feel I feel better about the offense. Yeah, I think the thing about the offense is that um, I it feels like the last six weeks or so, McCarthy really wanted to try to see if there's a way in which he could give the opportunity his guys the opportunity to build their skills in the run game and it never really worked and i think what we're going to see is a lot more sort of short passing especially on first and second down that's going to basically come in rundowns because ultimately getting five yards yards on a, on a quick out is so much easier for this team than getting five yards on the ground and it, it, every time every time they tried to run on early downs they found themselves behind the chains and and then the thing you just described for dak comes into play right where he suddenly is under duress and he's got to either make a perfect throw or break contain and hope he runs you I mean it becomes becomes a much more dicey proposition and um you know as you said before we started to record you felt like you saw a lot more easy button plays yeah. and i think that that's right right and and i think a really important category of easy button play is the early down short easy easily completable pass right even if it's only four yards whatever that's fine that's a run mm -hmm. just throw it to cooks on a quick out throw it to you know throw it to ferguson and maybe breaks a tackle and he turns a three or four yarder into a six or seven yarder great whatever um i think that it's a, it's a much more higher high percentage play than sending uh tony pollard off guard yes. um the other thing though that really has me thinking that this could be a a great run for the cowboys a great playoff run is the way their quarterback has been playing um and particularly the way he played against against washington i thought he was magnificent i thought it might have been the best game i've ever seen from him i think that i totally agree but rab i want you to tell me how you feel on the other side of the ball and i mean where, where you feel with this cowboys defense i feel good i i think that you know speaking of of the way that brady through short a lot um, to sort of nullify or negate the opposing pass rush. I feel like opposing offensive coordinators have been doing that to the Cowboys in the last like 10 games. So if we look at the last five, first five or six games of the season, especially those games against like the Jets and the Patriots the, the, and the Giants, the Cowboys pass rush absolutely obliterated and, and made inconsequential whatever plan the opposing offensive coordinator had it was destroyed by the pass rush and i think people watched that tape and went well we can't do this because if we do this we're not going to be able to do anything like none, none of our game plan will work what you you there's no play you can call when michael parsons uh is running up against your quarterback up the middle essentially untouched right there's simply no play that works and so um I think people said we, we have to we have to avoid this at all costs, and they've done a good job. They've they've done a lot of things where they like bunch up the middle to protect the the top of the pocket. They're throwing a lot shorter. Cowboys pass rush has been. I mean, they're still winning one on one battles at a alarmingly high rate, but their sack totals have gone down, their pressure totals have gone down, and they've gone down because I think of of the the way that other teams are scheming. How about you? Yeah. Where are you where are you standing? I feel that I I. I love the Cowboys pass rush and whether they get home or not, I, I feel like the impact they have is so noticeable and you can just see things where rush throws or, I mean, I, there's just so much that shows up to me and I feel like the Cowboys back seven or back eight or however many, all the guys that, that make up, <laughs> make up the, that unit is such a mediocre group. Um, I, at best, honestly, I, and for them to be able to have one of the best pass defenses in the league, you know, I think it, it, it points to why, and that's that's what's going on in the trenches. And, and uh, yeah, like, Micah's not having these ridiculous sack numbers, but he's the he's, – he's constantly causing problems. And yes. I, I just feel like to, – to me, I look at the defense as a good enough group. They're a good enough group. They're, they're not as great as they somehow appear to be when they have these – defensive scores and they have these big games where the teams aren't scoring a lot but at the same time they're opportunistic they play really hard uh, i feel like when they're disciplined and they're in their in their game they're very tough they can stop the run they can, when they're in their game they can they can get the turnovers when they're in their game so mm -hmm. as a whole i i feel good about it i, I don't ever feel like this is a defense that's going to be able to like what I, when they were saying 
We are a defensive team. To me, I think that's hogwash. I think this is an offensive team. It should be when you have the, the talent that they have on offense. But this is a defense that can allow the offense to win games. So I go into it, and to me, I feel like they're, the defense have been what they've always been is a really strong unit. Um, but they will they will give up plays here and there, but mm-hmm. they will do enough to, to help you win the game. Yeah, I think that when they're when they're in their bag, one of the things that they they really do that's most important, and we've talked about this so many times over the last few years, is is they get turnovers, they they stop possessions, get turnovers, and either by scoring themselves or giving the offense short fields, um, help the Cowboys to get cheap scores. And cheap scores are so important, especially in games between closely matched teams. Um, I, I actually also feel that, you know, we've been, and I know, I know we need to move on and talk about the Packers, but I will say that you said the back seven's mediocre. I think the Cowboys corners are good. If, if not, if not very good. Um, and I, I think that one of the things that gives me a little bit of hope going forward is it wasn't that long ago, uh, you know, against, against Buffalo and Miami where we were thinking, Oh my goodness, Damone Clark is in a blender. This poor kid. He really seems to be regressing, and we were like, oh, "Okay, the Marquise Bell era has, you know, people are catching up to what he can do well and and where he could be exploited." Um, I'm I'm really happy last couple of games to see Demon Clark playing much better, and I have to say that two guys who have always been who are in in that sort of middle middle space, uh, and we've talked about how they they've been hot and cold and too too cold too often. In Jordan Lewis and Donovan Wilson have been coming on and they're healthy and they have been making plays like we're seeing the Dono of old and we may be seeing the best Jordan Lewis we've ever seen. I think so. And so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I've always thought that Malik Hooker was a good player, if not a great player. He's a good player. Uh, and I feel like some of the other weaknesses that we've pointed out in the middle of the defense are being shored up a little bit by guys who are on the come. So, you know, if that, if that trajectory continues, I think, I think this defense is going to be very, very tough to deal mm-hmm. with. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the team they're going to be going up against. What do you say? I would love to hear more about this Packers uh, team, Rab. So can you uh, please indulge us all with a little Rabbles Roundup? Ooh, I think I can. It's time for Rabble's Roundup. All right. So as, as everybody who's a listener knows, um, I like to look at the team's quote-unquote spine that starts with the owner to the GM, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback. In this case, I'm not going to really talk about the owner because we have a cast of thousands. I'm not even quite sure who the Packers owner is or how we talk about them. Um, in this case, the head coach, as we've talked about with so many offensive-minded head coaches, also the offensive coordinator, for all intents and purposes, even though somebody else holds that title. So we're going to talk about that that HC slash OC split. And we'll talk briefly about the GM, but I really want to talk about the relationship between the head coach who calls the plays and the way he's helped, I think, transform the season and really change the trajectory of the season for their their young quarterback, um, Jordan Love. So um, their GM, hot and cold guy, Brian, Brian Gutekunds, uh, who took over and runs the show, just like Ted Thompson, who did during all the sort of Favre, Holmgren, you know, McCarthy years did before him um one of the things he does differently than ted thompson he hasn't been afraid to venture into free agency remember ted thompson was very much a draft and develop kind of guy he didn't want to touch free agency at all he didn't want to bother with it really and i think at the end at the end of his at the end of his time in green bay uh, green bay fans were really really fed up with that because they saw other teams getting better through free agency oh, that's weird and fans upset i know right who, who what, what fan base would ever do such a thing Crazy. um so in 2018, he traded down with the Saints, got an extra first-round pick, added, uh, you know, with 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 his uh, various draft day dealings, added Jair Alexander. I think it was the second quarterback they drafted that year. Um, maybe not. I think they got two first-round corners, I if, I, right. if I remember correctly, or two guys early. And Jair Alexander's been an All-Pro and has been has been great. So that that was a really nice little splash he made. Um, got a couple guys in 2019 who we're going to see make big impacts on Sunday in Rashawn Gary and guard Elgin Jenkins. 
Um, but then he had kind of off years in 2020 and 2021 in terms of his draft picks. Uh, last couple of years, he had double-digit picks. And it looks like the 22 draft class is actually looking pretty good. So, listen, this is a guy who's just like every other GM. He's about 50 to 60% hit rate. Like that, that's pretty typical. Like whenever you start to look at these these other guys and and their and their um you know their drafting history, you. I mean, my conclusion is always we are so lucky to have Will McClay. His hit rate is so much higher than yes. most of these other guys. You know, people people are like, oh, what are you talking about? Mozzie Smith is a bust. Are you kidding me? I mean, most teams have three, four Mozzie Smiths in a row. You know, and so we're really, really lucky. I think the thing about this, though, is that this guy's always going to be judged by the succession plan at quarterback. Like, I mean, the, the, if you think about the Packers in, in our recent lifetimes, you're thinking about two quarterbacks, really, right? You're thinking about how lucky they were to get those two quarterbacks seamlessly back to back. But eventually that, that gorgeous golden run had to end. And what are they going to do after Aaron Rodgers? So we're going to talk about, about the kid that they brought in uh, who's got an the dude has an arm, you know, he can throw the, he can throw the ball. But before we get to him, let's talk a little bit about Matt LaFleur. This is going to feel like I'm reading from Rabble's roundups from previous years, frankly, because the history is so similar. So as you know, the guy who succeeded Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, kid named Matt LaFleur, just like the guys we've met before who come from the Shanahan coaching tree, which he does. He followed Shani across multiple stops before being handed to reins to one of the NFL's most storied franchises. To tell me, yeah, raise your hand if you if you've heard this before. Up, oh, I see you're raising your hand. So he was hired initially in the NFL in 2008 as an offensive assistant for the Texans. Uh, who was there with the Texans? Oh, look, it was Kyle Shanahan, uh, and he was he assisted both the wide receivers and quarterbacks. And then the following commenced. So he happened to get hired. Shani liked him, smart young guy. Shanny collects smart young guys and they, they, they move with him. So his father, Mike was hired to coach in Washington. Kyle went with him, brought LaFleur with him to coach the quarterbacks in 2010 from 2011 to 13. He worked alongside three other future head coaches, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel. Maybe you've heard of some of these I guys. So, yeah. I mean, this is, this is almost the exact same trajectory that we, that we talked about when we did the Rabbles roundup before the, the Dolphins yes. game a couple of weeks ago. Right. It feels so similar. Um, in fact, he was really responsible. One of the things he did in 2012 was to mentor rookie quarterbacks uh, uh, RG3, Robert Griffin III, and Kirk Cousins. You know, so that that RG3 sort of rookie season that was kind of magical, and then and then you know Kirk Cousins' long uh, NFL career, in some ways, are both attributable to uh, Matt Lafleur. He actually went to college to coach for a year and then came back to the NFL as a quarterback coach for the Atlanta Falcons working under. Ooh, I wonder who that is. You guessed it, offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan. Uh, his younger brother, Mike, who's now the Rams offensive coordinator, was also an offensive assistant with that Falcons team. Uh, and he was instrumental in coaching Matt Ryan to his uh, lone NFL MVP that year. We won't talk about what happened at the end of the year because it still haunts me. The next year, he joined the Rams coaching staff as Sean McVay's OC. And thanks Washington connection and under their tutelage together, the Rams finished the year as the league's number one scoring offense. They scored 478 points in 16 games. Um, so you can see that, you know, this, this is all, this all feels very, very familiar. So if it's not Shanahan, it's McVay, they, they were together at one time. And now that, that, you know, one or other of these sort of like, you know, offensive wunderkinds have worked with, with one of them at usually at multiple stops. Eventually, he, he left his position at the Rams to take the same position with the Tennessee Titans. Why would you go from the Rams to the Titans, one might ask? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he is, in working with Mike Vrabel instead of Sean McVay, he got the opportunity to direct the offense more. He had play-calling responsibilities, which he didn't have with the Rams. Right. So if he was going to position himself to be an NFL head coach, it was going to be more challenging to do that uh, as a guy who didn't call plays, who was more of the kind of like offensive coordinator figurehead than the actual coordinator so he was able to go um and be an actual coordinator had a bad year that the titans had a bunch of injuries etc but um and they were 27th in the league in scoring but i think people recognized that he was a, a hot young coach on the come he was hired to be the head coach in green bay the following year so let's talk about his offense a little bit listen this is also going to sound like a broken record, right? He comes from the Shanahan coaching tree. So guess what? It's a primarily zone-based rushing attack. Got some gap-based schemes mixed in. A lot of pre-snap motion. 
a lot of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, a lot of 12 personnel, which is two tight ends. Tell me you haven't heard this before. It's designed to get defenders to look one way and send the ball the other, right? All Everything looks the same, but what you really want to do is get guys taking a wrong step, get guys bite biting one direction and then you've got them because you got a bunch of young you got a bunch of quick guys who are going to get that yak because all they need is that little bit that little bit of hesitation um everything's predicated on the running game just like all the other shanty inspired offenses um but interestingly enough a big part of their season turnaround this year where they started the season something like two and five and they were really like languishing at the bottom of the league in terms of offensive production a big part of that turnaround it was a renewed emphasis on the run game and even more so the adaptability of the run game and how it progressed through the season so lafleur and his offensive coordinator a guy named adam stenovich who came to the packers as an offensive line coach and that and then worked uh, sort of running game coordinator so that's his background they've increasingly used gap scheme runs so they've gotten a little bit away from that sort of like typical shanahan wide zone scheme you know where you, sometimes you fake you fake that wide zone and then you roll out the opposite opposite you know uh, the way uh, and a lot of bootlegs and and you know things off of things off of that um, they're actually doing a lot more uh, gap stuff, a lot more power. So I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see a varied run game. Um, they had been exclusively zoned with a sprinkling of duo. And now they really, they're much more physical. They do a lot of pulling. They like to kick players out of the line of scrimmage. They like to um, get uh, unexpected skill position guys in as, as lead blockers. So one of the things that, they, that they've been most consistent with this year that the Cowboys really need to watch out for has been the old pin and pull where you, like, you have a tight end or, or a wide receiver who's split pretty tight to the, to the formation, block the outside, uh, whoever the guy is who's supposed to be you know, holding the edge like the defensive end, and then the guard and tackle or some combination of, of linemen pull around and lead, uh, lead basically a sweep around the outside. This scheme gets guys like Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon into space and allowing their offensive line to pin scraping defenders inside. So Jones in particular has been really good at reading the angles of defenders outside the tackles and finding space for cutbacks. So I think that's one of the things the Cowboys really have to to look out for because they've been, as we've talked about all too many times, very vulnerable to outside runs this year. Mm -hmm. And and they've also, on when they've been vulnerable to outside runs, it's because they've gotten sucked inside and their outside defenders have not um, done a good, great, a good job with contain. Or if they have, it's because they've gotten way outside and, and left an alley, and that's exactly what the Packers are going to want to exploit. So that's, I think, one of the things we have to really, really look out for. All right, so let's just talk about the transformation. So I think there was a really important moment in the season. LaFleur had been, I think, trying to simplify the offense because he's got a young quarterback and a really young, like a lot of second year receivers, he's got a young skill position core. I think he wanted to simplify things and it just wasn't working. And he said, we need to generate explosives if we're going to be successful. And so he is on, he's on record as saying there was a point in time where you realize if, if we're going to generate explosives, you better call the plays that can generate explosives. And so he's been calling a lot more of those. And so um, the decision to do that, to call more slow developing plays, more explosive plays, more downfield throws, et cetera, has changed the season, which can be divided very neatly into before this decision – i.e. like the first seven games when they were like two and five and after the last 10 games where they went seven and three. Um, I'm not going to go into this too much, but if anybody wants to take a look at it, you can really see the difference in that identity in the two Vikings games. The one happened before and the one happened after this moment. And the second one, you may remember, because I think it was a Thanksgiving game. Was that right? Where they just demolished the Vikings like 33-10 or something. And they and they were just getting explosive plays down the seam, explosive plays on the outside, etc. Um, the Cowboys, if they're going to lose this game, I think are going to lose this game because Jordan Love goes nuclear. I don't think the, the Packers are not at anywhere near as good a team as the Cowboys are. The Cowboys are a better team. They're a better coach team. They're, they're, their quarterback's a better player. They have a much, much, much better defense. They're a better team. Jordan Love has the ability to go nuclear. He has been absolutely amazing during this, transform- this transformation and their run to the playoffs. So let, let me just throw some stats at you, and then, I'll, and then we can move on. 
Over the last seven games, he's completed 68.4% of his passes, almost 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, only one interception, had a 109.9 passer rating. In the last three games of the season, all of which were wins, the um, the Packers are fourth with 27.7 points per game. Love had passer ratings of 109, 125, and 128.6 against Carolina, Minnesota, and Chicago, respectively. And over the last four games, Love has thrown nine touchdowns and zero interceptions. Over the last eight games, he has 18 touchdowns and one interception. The dude has been phenomenal. Over the course of the season, it's all kind of evened out. I mean, because the first part of the season, he wasn't great, but he has over 4,000 yards passing. He's second in the NFL behind Oh, Dak Prescott in touchdown passes with 32. He just won his second consecutive NFC Offensive Player of the Week award. First t- person to do that since Jalen Hurts last year Last year in weeks 12 and 13. So I think that um, this is going to be really interesting because he has the ability to keep this game close. But since this transformation of which I've, I've spoken, they've done so by calling a lot more of those plays that can generate explosives. But you know what those are? Those are slower developing plays. Those are plays where wide receivers take a little longer to get open deeper. And that plays right into the Cowboys' hands because their pass rush, as we talked about, I think still has the ability to be really disruptive. I think that the the game's going to be decided in the battle between the Packers' offensive line and the Cowboys' defensive line. If they prevent Jordan Love from having opportunities to get those deep passes, Cowboys win by 20. If if Jordan Love is able to, you know, um, wait for his receivers to get open deeper too often, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen occasionally. It happens. It's going to happen occasionally against good offense. But if it happens too often, so they're able to generate explosives generate drives continue to you know to to head toward 30 points it's going to be a lot a lot tighter i think though that the great mismatch here and we'll talk probably talk about that in phantoms 5 in just a moment the great mismatch here of course that should give us all a little bit of relief is the cowboys offense against the packers defense the jordan love is the great equalizer but he's going to need to be because the cowboys offense should have their way with a a Packers defense that even throughout this transformation has been middling at best. And that, my friends, is Rabble's Roundup. I'll tell you what, buddy, I've been been, uh, eagerly anticipating Phantoms 5 since the uh, clock ticked to zero in the the, uh, Washington game. So please, illuminate us with five key points that are going to determine this game. It's time for the Phantom Five. Do it slowly. Do it again. It's time for the Phantom Five. What's the first one? So, first off, I will say that you covered a lot of stuff, and our minds are right around the same area. So, there's going to be a little bit of a repeat here, but uh, but I'll. I saw some vigorous nodding as I was <laughs> wrapping up the roundup. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll make this quick though. So. The, the first thing, and we'll start off right where you left me, basically. This one I'm calling Time to Work. Uh, mm. I feel like there are two versions of Dak Prescott. Uh, number one, when he has time, and then number two is when Dak is a little skittish. And as you kind of mentioned, the, the Packers are all right as a pass rush, but uh, nothing concerning. They boast the 19th best pass rush win rate. Nah, that's not anything to worry about. Uh, they do it as a team. They have no fierce pass rushers. Um as you mentioned, like Rashawn Gary, so, but but no Packers player has double-digit sacks. They are bottom five in QB rating, passer rating, to wide receivers, and they are second worst in creating interceptions. So there's there's not a lot to fear here. So uh, this is a game where Prescott should be comfortable. And honestly, Rabs, this is where this the passing attack of the Dallas Cowboys is where they need to win this game. Agreed. Agreed. Does that lead us to our second point? Yeah, let's stick with the quarterbacks. And like I said, this you've already, you've touched on most of this already. I call this love potion number ten. <laughs> I love it. So uh, yeah, we'll go from one QB to the next. Uh, Prescott, you mentioned, uh, has the most TD passes with thirty six. And I was going to ask you, did you know Jordan Love has the second most? And apparently you do. And now everybody does. Uh, it's more than Brock Purdy. It's more than Goff. And it's a lot more than that guy Jalen Hurts. Uh, this is who I'm sorry. I've, I've not, I, are, you, are you talking about the, uh, the Eagles backup running back? Oh yeah. Yeah. I know him. Yeah, he's, 
I don't know if I call him a backup running back. He's one of their best runners, I would say. I think he, he might lead the league in rushing touchdowns. I don't know. But anyway, um, this is actually Love's first full season as the backup's starting quarterback. Uh, similar to Aaron Rodgers, uh, he rode the pine for a few years and didn't get the keys until he's 25 years old. This guy is 25 years mm-hmm. old. Uh, so if it looks mm-hmm. like he's a little mature, there there's, there's some reason to it. So um, Love, he kind of started the year on fire with – Two straight, three touchdown games, no picks. But then after that, I mean, we were all kind of thinking, uh-oh, maybe the Packers do what they're doing. Mm-hmm, but then it kind of mm-hmm. faded a little bit. I mean, for the next stretch of games, like you said, up until the, the midseason, it was kind of like, well, it didn't seem like anybody was scared of him. But he has been on fire since. Uh, he has one measly pick over the last eight games, as you mentioned. Uh, passer rating over 107 of the last eight games. The guy is mm-hmm. hot when he needs to be. And not surprisingly, the Packers have won six of the last eight, which is why we're playing them. Why they are in the playoffs now and not some other team. So I tell you what, you're absolutely right. He's a wild card here. I mean, he's he's playing really well. And if if the Packers are to have a chance, it, it's going to be because of Jordan Love. And he, he has a, the ability to give them a good chance. I agree. I agree. That's the thing that scares me the most. How about number three, my friend? Number three is another one that you talked about in <laughs> – um, so I mentioned that the Packers don't have a stellar pass rush, but the Cowboys do. Uh, they pressure the quarterback 43% of the time, the most in the NFL. You know, even if you think maybe they just kind of like, you know, haven't been consistent or not, this team, they get after you. So, I mean, Micah Parsons leads the league in pass, run, pass rush win rate once again, three years in a row, every year he's been in the league. That's pretty impressive. I, I think that's crazy to me. Um, always number one in that department. Uh, but you know what? This game might be difficult to generate pressure because the Packers have only allowed 30 sacks this season. That's third best in the league. As us, you know, we're no strangers to this. I mean, Mike McCarthy uh, felt like he, mm-hmm. he had those guys knowing how to, to uh, execute legal holds. It's because it always felt like the Packers were just protecting and it, just, and it didn't even seem fair. Uh, but McCarthy or LaFleur don't matter. This Packers O-line protects. So if the Cowboys aren't able to generate pressure, uh, they're going to give Love time to operate, which brings me to (gasps) number four. Number four is this is called who's it going to be. And So with Dallas, they have one dynamic receiver in CeeDee Lamb. We know who's getting the targets. But who is Jordan Love going to target? This I found crazy, Ravs. The Packers have had a different leading receiver in each of their last 14 games. Four, what? That is absolutely crazy to me. If you were to go down the list like I did and look at it and find the and 14 different, I'm never a back-to-back. Mm. I mean, Green Bay has a slew of talented pass catchers who can do damage. We know about Christian Watson, who has been hampered by injuries this year, but they also have mm-hmm. Romeo Dobbs, Bo Melton, this guy De, um, Devontae and Wicks, rookie, by the way, and the rookie mm-hmm. sensation, Jaden Reed. Uh, yes. Reed is the guy that I am worried about. He's one of those yak guys and they, who they also use as a rusher, very dynamic player. I'm worried this could be a difficult game for the Cowboys' corners if uh, if Green Bay, as you like to say, finds the bunny, whether that is mm-hmm. Deron Bland or Jordan Lewis, but, you know, playing well, mind you, um, or, if it, or even the other guy, I don't speak of should you know Gilmore's shoulder causing problems. So that worries me a little bit because they just I feel like there's an opportunity there to find find some areas that could give the Cowboys problems. and if they attack that it could be a problem. And that leads us to number five. What's the fifth and final so, of Phantoms Musing? This one to me is it's called what who's going what direction? I feel like with when it comes to the Packers and the Cowboys, this game is going to tell us a lot. It's going to tell us a lot about this, these organizations. And I, I expect the Cowboys to handle this game. They, I, like you said, they're the better team. Uh, they're, they're, there's, there's really no reason why we shouldn't uh, come out uh, with a, a very comfortable win in this game. Uh, but if for some reason the Packers do upset the Cowboys, I think that tells you a lot about this Jordan Love guy and, and Matt LaFleur and the direction they're going. I remember LaFleur was 13-3 and his first three years. They had that Aaron Rodgers transition. Look where they're at now. They're, they look to be a trending up. So at the same time, 
I don't know what it means for the Cowboys if they do all this stuff in the regular season and they come in there and they aren't able to perform, you know, when, when it matters the most. So I don't expect that to happen, but it's something that I'm, I would be lying if I did, said I wasn't worried about. But anyway, as we finish things off, as we all often like to do, Rabs, I want you to give me your final score prediction. Who's winning this game and by how much? I think, it, I think the, the Packers are going to get theirs, right? I, I think we both sort of agree that that's going to happen. Yes. It's inevitable. I think the Cowboys are going to get theirs more. And I think the, the Cowboys will get to Jordan Love and, you know, create a turnover or something that's going to help with the margin. Uh, let's say the uh, Cowboys by 10, 34-24. Uh, 34-24. Wow. That's a, that's a great prediction. Um, I... <laughs> Why is it the same as yours? I have the Cowboys by 10, 30 to 20. That's my prediction. Um, I will say this, though. I am expecting this to be a little bit, kind of like a little bit 2016-ish in the sense of, like, I don't think it's going to start all that great. I mean, I would love mm-hmm. to see the Cowboys get on it, get on it early, and we're not even, by midway through the first quarter, we're just kind of comfortable and where we know how this is going to end. But I feel like, as we mentioned, Green Bay, Green Bay has the ability to, to do a little bit of damage here. And I think at first it's going to be they're going to get they're going to get theirs, and then I think it's going to be a little filling out. And I think the Cowboys' offense they'll get in a rhythm, and they'll get to the point to where similar to last week, where it's like four straight possessions, boom, boom, you know, just touchdown, touchdown. And yeah, yeah, I see that that sort of thing happening. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's a little bit dicey. A little early, like maybe midway through second before we start to feel like, uh, what's going to happen here? So, but I do have the Cowboys winning by 10, just like you, in, in what is expected to be a lot of points. Yeah, I think that, I think that, uh, feels right. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised at all if it's something like 17 14 or 14 10 at halftime, and then they just begin to they begin to build on that. Yes. Yeah. And extend the, extend the lead in the second half. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, and then next week we'll be hopefully here talking about uh, what kind of win the Cowboys are going to have over there in the divisional round. But that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Voice Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you'd like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topic, some matchups you're looking for, or uh, what is a phrase that somebody uses that just annoys you? Let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter. At, I'm at DannyFanon24. Don't forget to check out all the great podcasts for the week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the Silver and Blue. We will catch you later. Go Cowboys. Go Cowboys.